so glad to sit here today with Megan Lambert, who is an amazing intimacy and um, desire coach, I would say. Yes, expert? Yeah, and, I think that's a yeah. great mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, you're an author. Uh, actually, I have your amazing book just right here. I would really recommend all the women to read it. Uh, Eros, The Journey Home. But also men probably can read it, right? To learn more about what's going on with women. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a lot, yeah, a lot to learn here. And uh, you're also holding uh, group programs. You are doing the coaching, even though now you're pausing the individual coaching, as I understood. And uh, you're holding retreats also for women and also for couples with your amazing husband. Mm. Yes, that's true. Those are all the things we do. And thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you so much for being here. This is my first actually doing it online. So it's going to be an interesting experience for me too, (laughs) because we have such a big um, location uh, length between us, because I'm in Estonia and you're in Bali. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I still wanted to have this conversation with you. So thank you for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. I love the way the internet and virtual can make the big world seem smaller. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, actually, I met you through your couples retreat mm-hmm. in Bali just like a few months ago. Like uh, that's where I met all your magic and all that you can do. I'm so grateful I got to see you in, in real life, in person. The energy you have and the wisdom you bring for the women and for the couples, it's it's. I'm, it's beyond words, actually, like everything you gave me and my partner uh, for our relationship to spark the intimacy and keep it. I'm so grateful. I'm so happy that I got to be there. So thank you so much for doing that. Oh, thank you. I loved it. It's, you know, retreats are my favorite thing in the world to do. And mm. we're such an amazing addition to this space, too. Such a generous mm. participant and added so much love and joy and wisdom. thank you thank you love but you're holding the same couples retreat now in july right that's right yeah so anybody who's listening it's also happening in bali so anyone who's interested and listening and are in a relationship i really recommend looking up oh thank you yes yeah but uh So it's now called Devoted, which I think is a more accurate summary of what we teach on the retreat. Helping oh, yeah, couples. That's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Maybe yeah. you can say a few words about it. Devoted. We changed the name Devoted because a lot of the couples that came um, left saying they felt more committed, more in love, and more devoted to each other. And I was like, that's such a beautiful phrase. And we teach about sex and intimacy and romance. Um, and I think the result of feeling really connected on an emotional, physical, um, sexual, and social, spiritual level is the feeling of devotion. Um, so that's the yeah, new I think this, yeah, yeah, I think it's so important because the message that you're giving is really like how to stay together and how to keep the spark alive, even if you're being together for a long time. Because mm-hmm. nowadays we know that it's, you know, it's so easy to just, break up find a new partner and this a lot what we're seeing and uh, I really appreciate this approach of really like being devoted to your partner and finding ways to find and keep the spark yeah thank you well it came from my own hunger 
I'll say, I was like, I've always wanted a lifelong marriage, but I'm also a very passionate and fiery and um, lit up person. And I want my marriage to feel like that. You know, I want the spark and the excitement and the honeymoon, but I also want to keep it for life. And so I remember starting this wondering, like, is it possible? Is that too much to ask for? Um, and the more I do this work, the more I see it is possible, but it does require work and devotion and uh, education and practice. Mm-hmm. So interesting. I so want to get back to it. I'm going to take like a mental note here. But um, today's topic is mostly going to be about the feminine, how to mm-hmm. be how to find your own feminine power. And, and also we discussed a little bit about how, what, how does it change when you become a mother? Yeah. But uh, before we do that, can you please say a little bit about yourself? Like, how did you become? Like, you've done so many great things in such a short life period. Like, how did you come to that? Like, what's your, mm-hmm. what's your story? Hmm, thank you. Well, let's see. I think... Growing up, I was, I was very ambitious. So, and in my family, I think what was really rewarded was um, going for a goal and achieving and being very intellectual. I was always, you're so smart, you're very intellectual. And so there was a lot around, that was what I was, that's what I got attention for. That's what was valued growing up. And so I was valedictorian and became a leadership consultant and all these things. And then at some point I thought, Hmm. I have everything I wanted, but I don't feel very like juicy or alive or intimate. Like there's something that's not, there's something missing here. Like I have all the accomplishments, but there's something missing. And so I started to learn a lot about intimacy and sexuality. And I got involved with a group called orgasmic meditation and, and really learned about mindfulness and sexuality and how the two come together Um, especially around female sexuality and the feminine. And that completely like 180 changed my worldview where it was less about like, what should I be doing? What's the accomplishments? What's the achievements? And coming back to my body and my um, sense of what feels good to me. Where is my body taking me? What is my intuition telling me? What um, can I make space for my emotions even when they're inconvenient? Um, Can I listen to my sensuality on a deeper level? And these were, this was pretty radical to me because I would say now, looking back with the terms I have now, I was pretty in my masculine energy, like go, achieve, da, da, da. Um, Also my intimate relationships were with men were difficult. I kept finding men that I felt like I had to coach, save, caretake. And I just craved being met by like someone who's an equal who would like sweep me off my feet and I could just like surrender and feel soft with but it wasn't happening. And I didn't know why it wasn't happening. Um, and it was, but it was because I was stuck in the like lead, accomplish, do, go. And my feminine side was uh, atrophying, withering. It was, I was not paying attention to it. So as I started to do this work on the feminine and cultivating my relationship with my pussy, my womb, my heart, my intuition, um, I started to feel more juicy and more alive and more trusting of the unknown. And in doing so, you know, my relationships with men changed. I met my husband um, and I could really uh, surrender into the relationship while still holding the strength of the feminine. That's a delicate dance, I think. 
Yeah. And I am so devoted now to the feminine because it completely changed my life. Feeling that part of me, reclaiming that part of me, and then seeing how it rippled out into my relationships, my family, the way I'm mother. It's, I really think it's the missing link in our world is more connection with the feminine, the feminine inside of ourselves, man, woman, gender, non-binary, and the feminine in the world being nature, the earth, um, the cyclical nature. I, I see the strength in you. Uh, in a way, you described that you were very much in the masculine before. Do you mm-hmm. see that you still have that part in you? Or like, what makes you, because I see you do a lot of things, like somehow you still accomplish a lot. Like, yes, there is this femininity to it. And I see the juiciness and the aliveness. Like, but how would you describe it? Is there like, do you still use it? Do you mix it? Is there some other aspect of feminine that makes you accomplish things or? Yeah, yeah, it's such a good question. And I think I absolutely still keep my masculine side and my masculine energy. It's so important. I think when I first learned about the feminine, I thought, okay, now I just need to soften and surrender and feel my feelings. And I have to like put away the driving, the strength, the achiever, the masculine side of me in order to be feminine. Now I know that's not at all true for me. For me, what's really true is like feeling connected enough to my feminine that she leads, but my masculine supports and holds. So for example, my feminine might say, I don't want to work today. You know, I really like, I'm exhausted. I want to just like spend time with my baby and play in the garden. So then my masculine side will be like, okay, I got my to-do list. What do I need to rearrange so that this is possible? Okay, we'll work at this time. We'll delegate to this person. So I still very much have a masculine. It's just who's leading inside of me. Mm. And I try to keep that my feminine side because I know when my feminine is leading, my life feels more turned on, alive, and juicy. When my masculine is leading, it starts to feel dry and hard and like crunchy mm-hmm. and pushing. Mm-hmm. Pushing is a big energy I feel when my masculine is leading too much. Mm. Yeah, well, that's a very good intake because I believe also that we need both. And uh, inside of us, we all have both, right? But mm-hmm. What would you say? Like, do you think that this is something that women are like struggling with? Like that is this feeling of like constantly trying to prove ourselves in this because we still pretty much live in this patriarchic world that in order to get the things done, we we kind of have to be in the masculine. What would you recommend for women? So what I see with women is that in general, we live in a patriarchy. And so a lot of what's rewarded culturally from our family socially is to be in your masculine. So be logical, make sense, think before you act, um, explain yourself clearly and articulately. These are all masculine strengths. They're great things to be, but they're the masculine, right? Whereas the strengths of the feminine, like deeply feeling your your intuition, your emotions, your cyclical nature, um, your kind of sixth sense, These are things that are not in most cultures valued as highly as the masculine. And so a lot of women growing up unconsciously will strengthen their masculine side and not their feminine. Then what happens is women and men get into masculine feminine work. Um, If you've studied any of David Data or John Wineland, um, you'll know a bit about masculine feminine. 
And then they learn, okay, I need to be in my feminine. And so women will start to say, okay, I need to be feminine. I need to surrender. I need to soften. I need to wear goddess dresses. I need to talk in a soft, breathy voice. You know, and it's almost like it's, a, it's another thing that they're striving to become is more feminine. And as if this is a thing that you can put on from the outside. Like if I just no, wear my goddess. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, in a way, it's also like still being driven by the masculine. It's like yeah. I have to be this. It's like having another goal. Totally. Except the goal. Yeah, I have to morph myself into being feminine. <laughs> yeah, it's the next goal to strive for, to push for. Um, and instead of the way I teach the feminine, is like it's like letting go of the pressure around being a certain way, around showing up a certain way and like softening into your body and listening more deeply. Mm -hmm. So whether that listening is sensual dancing or if it's listening to your body when making work decisions or listening to your emotions more deeply than you have, to me, that's coming back to your feminine. It's not another thing to put on or to become. It's a a letting go and a softening into. Mm -hmm. In a way, if I understand you correctly, is it like that something that's actually already in us, but we just need to like, like connect with it? Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's already in us. Our feminine is there. She's always there. It's almost like sometimes I think about the feminine inside of us, like this shy cat, shy kind of feral cat that's maybe hiding under the bed. You can't just go up and like grab her and be like, okay, we're going to be feminine. And you need to kind of sit, soften, maybe offer her some treats, wait, and then she might stick her head out. And um, that's a little bit like our inner feminine. And so there's kind of a, a dance of getting to know ourselves and our feminine that can be really gentle. You, you've done this work a lot with women. Like, what would you say with your experience uh, has been the biggest struggle for women to really connect? I think the biggest obstacle is realizing how important it is. Mm. Because so much of dropping into our feminine can feel really indulgent or silly or selfish or impractical in a culture that really values masculine productivity, efficiency, and logic. Mm. So... I'll just give you a little personal example. Um, after my baby was born, I could feel the part of me that just wanted to be in mothering, that wanted to just be really present with my baby and feed her and like be at home and really attentive. But I also felt like, okay, I need to get back to work. I've been off for a few months now, like time to grow and like expand the business and get back to work. And, and so we invested in some business coaches and mapped out this whole strategy. And now what I realized later is that inside I had not valued motherhood as much as being an entrepreneur and making money and being productive. And that was like a little pocket of internalized patriarchy for me, where going out and making money and accomplishing business goals is more important than nurturing, staying home and nourishing life. These are patriarchal values that rarely will people ever say explicitly, but it's almost like the water that we all swim in. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, we kind of absorb it 
even if we consciously don't believe it. And so what I see a lot with my clients and women I work with, they'll want to be more connected to their feminine, but to do something that would help them be do that, like sensual dancing or following what they want to do versus what they should do, or doing a yin yoga class instead of a power yoga class feels like I don't have time for that, or it's not important, or it's not valuable. So it's yeah, I think I think this is so profound. Actually, it's in a way it's so it's so simple, right? It's like your answer to my question is like women don't know the importance of it. It seems yeah. so simple, but yet we don't think about it. And I think a lot of women also we get used to it. We don't yeah. even know that the other way is possible. Somehow we feel that something is not quite right. Something doesn't feel okay, but we don't even know what it is or we don't know how to ask for something else. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like your point is the water we swim in. You yeah. Know, as fish, we, we swim in the male dominated water. And so to imagine a life that is led by the feminine is revolutionary it's rebellious and there's not very many examples of it mm. of what does it actually look like if I let my feminine lead and how to do that in a powerful way it's yeah it's rare and a lot of women don't have anyone to look to for how that how they would do that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then there are all the stories coming like yeah but if I don't do what because I know when I started doing it and someone when I was even taking a one day off I was already like sitting home feeling guilty. (laughs) I was already like, oh my God, I should do something. Like I can so relate to your story. I'm not the mother yet, but like even for me, like just taking days off and like really relaxing or like two days, I would definitely feel guilty. I would like Mm -hmm. feel like I'm useless. I have to go out. I have to do something like what am I doing with my life? Yeah, it's a big one. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the little ones I've been working on in my business is planning around my menstrual cycle. And so really taking time off when I'm on my moon, when I'm bleeding and just not doing work and giving my body because hormonally, and that's my time to rest, to reflect, to um, be in my own energy To They would say uh, the native Americans, um, I have a mentor who's from native American tribe. She said the women used to lay when they were bleeding, lay in a circle with their heads together and dream for the tribe. And the tribe would get intuitive guidance about where to go next based on what the women who are bleeding were dreaming. And I just love that because it's such a nice um, metaphor for what's possible when we really stop and honor our menstrual cycle. But for me, I'm like, okay, I know this, right? but I'm still like, Oh no, but I could still do some work on those days or I can still sneak a call in, or I don't really need to take a full five days off, you know, maybe just a day or two. And so it's interesting to see how even inside of myself, the tendency to dismiss my feminine or to not place her as important exists. What would you say to a woman? Because if you're like looking realistically, there's still a lot of women uh, who have to go to work who do the typical kind of work from nine to five and they, you know, they don't have the flexible work schedule or they can't like just take five days off when they want to. What would you recommend for them? A few things is 
one, it's even more than what you're doing. It's the energy you're bringing. So in ovulation phase, you naturally have all this external, social, um, high vibe, outgoing energy. When you're menstruating on your moon, there is more of an inward feeling. And so for women who can't take time off, can you still honor that inward feeling even while you're around people? So this might look like, you know, being quieter at a party or going to work, but like letting yourself move more slowly through your tasks or going to work, but packing a really nourishing, cozy lunch for yourself and taking some time to like have your lunch in the park. And so there's a lot of ways to honor the energy shift that your body is in, even if you can't take time off work. Um, There's other things you can do too, just to celebrate yourself. Like I like to wear red lingerie or red lipstick when I'm on my moon and no one else has to know why I'm doing that. It's just like for me to acknowledge that like, this is a special, sexy, beautiful moment of my month. Yeah, that's super important. I think, thank you for sharing those tips and it's like, I think a lot of women, what I've heard in, in my own coaching is like, they have this obstacle they create in their life. They're like, yeah, but I'm not there yet. I can't, like, I still have to go to work. I'm still controlled by the society, by the structure, and I have to do all those things. But yet you can still honor your your moon phase, the cycle where you're in you can you still have all the time after work where you can like go inwards and really connect with yourself even if you have to be in the masculine light a lot of times yeah totally there's mm-hmm. a million things you can do and i think even more than the action is the quiet listening to your body of like what is my body needing now you know am i needing to eat something am i needing to drink more water can i put my feet up um and that's a way to honor your yourself no matter where you are on your face so what would you say if there's like one sentence like what is the feminine how would you describe it in one sentence yeah I can give you two (laughs) (laughs) well it's like it's there's different levels of abstraction that I can talk at the feminine so, you know, most abstract, aka spiritual, whatever level, the feminine is life force, is energy, is everything that animates the world. The next level is like the feminine is the juice, the color, and the aliveness in your life, the magic and the mystery. That's the feminine. And then even a more concrete level, if you like more specifics, the feminine is emotion, intuition, creativity. Um, connection, uh, heart, sensuality, and pussy. These are like the most concrete definitions Mm -hmm. of the feminine. Mm -hmm. So at any level, but I think the feminine, the way I would describe it is it's like, it's the, the colorful, animating, mysterious, and magical life force that flows through all of us. Beautiful, beautiful. And what would you say is the same feminine also inside men what's your intake on that yeah I think everyone has the feminine inside of them men women non-binary everyone has access to this feeling sensual alive juicy quality and I think it's really important actually for the health of everyone to continue to cultivate their access to this side of them Mm -hmm. um 
That being said, I I think some people have more of that quality that is innate to them. And some people, uh, it's not, it's not a big a part of who they are. So I think about it like you're playing the piano, right? You want to be able to play the whole spectrum of the piano. I think I talked about this on the retreat, mm-hmm. like the very masculine end of the keyboard, the very feminine. Um, and to be a good piano player, you can play the whole keyboard, right? You can be every energy from masculine to feminine. But then you have a place on the keyboard that feels most home. That feels like where your hands rest easily, where you feel most at ease. And that might be more masculine, more feminine, more balanced. Um, And it's not that you stay there forever, but it's nice to know, okay, this is my home. And from there, I can dance up and down the keyboard. Because it might be also the case in the beginning, if a woman is really used to being in the masculine, that the home feels like more on the masculine. But then when we try to like start playing the different tones, we find out like, oh my God, there's something I have not even touched yet. Yeah, it's so true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I think when I started this work, I definitely felt more at ease thinking, analyzing, rationalizing then feeling um, feeling emotions feeling sensually those they didn't feel foreign but they felt like long lost keys Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and like a remembering of some of these long lost keys Mm -hmm. so it's not always that what is familiar is where your home is sometimes Mm -hmm. you have to seek out your home a little bit more Mm -hmm. and how about you, would you say like what is the like if you would want to give something practical to the listeners like is there something they could really do if they like something simple to connect to their feminine like how would that look like yeah I think the simplest thing to connect with your feminine is to take a deep breath all the way down into your belly if you can all the way down into your genitals And as you do, letting your whole body soften. And as you soften, noticing what sensations you can feel in your body. Can you feel tingling or buzzing? Can you feel churning or aliveness? And just start with that. Periodically throughout the day, taking that deep breath and softening. Because what you're doing in that, deceptively one minute practice is you're softening habitual tension and creating more space for your feeling body and bringing your attention to your feeling body. So many women I work with say that they're chronically stuck in their head, that they're thinking, analyzing, doing, and it's because we haven't been taught or because of trauma or busyness, it isn't safe to be in our body. And so this practice of taking deep breaths and just sensing sensations is an amazing one to help your body become a safe place to be. Mm-hmm. And then that's a great starting point for the feminine, which is all around being in the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is very important. This is how you really teach a lot about being connected to your feminine is really connecting with your body, right? We were doing this amazing morning sensual dance uh, classes <laughs> in our retreat. 
which was like super interesting, like playing also with different aspects of your femininity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, femininity is, it's not a thought about experience. You can't think your way into being feminine. It's a felt through experience. So you have to be in your feeling sense. Yeah, this is a big thing orgasmic meditation taught me. It was how to keep bringing my attention back into my body, into my sensuality, and to keep connecting with body sensations as a compass for how to navigate my life. Because before I was navigating from my head, what's my pro con list? What should I do? What's expected? What will get the promotion? Whatever. Um, Through orgasmic meditation and some of these other practices, it was really coming back to my body and like, what is, what makes my body feel relaxed and alive? First, what makes my body feel tight and tense and shut down mm-hmm. and knowing I can trust the things that have my body feel relaxed and alive. Mm-hmm. But what would you say, like what changed when you made the shift of you were describing before, what has changed in your life since, <laughs> since that? Everything. Yeah. Every, I think the biggest thing is um I'm not who I thought I would be. Mm-hmm. You know, when I started my journey, I I was like, okay, I'm going to be a leadership consultant, maybe I'll be partner, maybe I'll be as a little kid, I was like, I'll be president of the United States and mm-hmm. there was a particular direction I thought my life would go. Um I thought I'd live in the US and, you know, marry my husband there and But when I listen to my body, there's so much more magic and mystery and unknown. And my body was the one that said, quit your consulting job, start your own business. It was my body that told me to move to Bali. And that's when I met my husband. It was my body that chose my husband. (laughs) We joke. I don't think our minds would have chosen each other necessarily, but like our souls, our bodies chose each other. Mm. Um, It was my body that told me it was time to have a baby. I kept, I got tears and shivers and I just knew through the sensations in my body. And, and it was my body that told me it was time to stop online coaching. And so in each of these moments, there's been, my mind has had a very different opinion of what I should be doing. Um, you know, it's like my mind saying, no, like you're a good coach. You should keep doing this path. You know, you've already invested so much that you should keep going. And then my body says, no, it's time to stop. And so in those moments, it's like I'm surrendering over and over again to who, who um, my feminine is asking me to be. Yeah, I think yeah. it's so important. Like, I, I want to like congratulate you so much on what you're doing and how you're leading the way and showing the way. And I think here was also a very important message in a way that even if you have chosen this path already years ago, it doesn't mean that the masculine or the brain or the logic is like not there anymore. Like you, you, you kind of in a way have to constantly still choose to listen to your intuitive, to the inner being, to your body, to the feminine, instead of letting your, your logic to lead. Yeah. It's an ongoing choice. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, I love the way you put that. It's like, it's not like the masculine or the logical side goes away. Because it it definitely doesn't. And the logical side of me has opinions about every decision I make. Um, but it's almost it's an inner discipline to keep going towards what my body is saying, even when it doesn't make sense. 
mm-hmm. even when my logical mind can't yet see how that would work out. Mm. So in a way, uh, if I understand correctly, it's like by doing it more and more, you kind of get more um, trusting towards listening to your body. Totally, yes. Yeah. Because in a way, it can be very scary because we want to control things. It's it's so much more safer to like decide logically. Yeah. Like leading from your feminine, there's so much more unknown and like kind of this like mystery, like what's gonna happen. Totally. Yeah, that's exactly the word I think of is like one of the feminine in her fullest expression is trust is trust and surrender. And that's not just trust and surrender to a partner. It's trust and surrender to your own knowing and, or to God, the universe, however you like to think about it. Um, it helps me to have some faith as I'm making these feminine led decisions. Um, but yeah, trust is a thing that develops over time. The more and more you allow your body and your intuition and your emotions to guide your decision-making because each time I've made these decisions, my life has unfolded in beautiful ways, beautiful and unexpected ways that I could not have predicted. No, even my family says, like, we thought you were crazy when you moved to Bali. And now look at your life. It's beautiful. Thank you. I think it's so important. It's such an important message. And this is also something that I have experienced. I've taken also a lot of leaps in my life. But looking back, I'm so grateful I did. I'm so grateful that I listened to this inner voice and it has been scary. (laughs) It has been super scary. And sometimes it's even like coming back like, oh my God, am I doing the right thing? Maybe I should just go back and do what I used to do. And like, there's this bargaining going on. Wow. I'm so curious. Will you share what's one of the leaps you've made where you trusted your feminine? Well, one thing I can say is when I moved to LA, I always had a dream to become an actress, actually. And uh, it was a crazy one because I was already 25 and I thought like, oh my God, I have to choose something serious and I should really not make this bold choice right now, like going on the other side of the world and being an actress when I'm 25, I'm already like (laughs) too late. But uh, it was like one of the best decisions of my life. I went there and how I connected to myself, I, I did the least transferred method, which is really going inside and like connecting to, to your own emotions and experience. And what it gave me in a sense of like trusting myself, I think it was like super profound experience. And I'm so glad that I did because now I also know that I don't want to be, become an actress. And I needed to go through this experience so I can like really feel at ease that I don't have this what if. Wow, I love that example. That's yeah. so cool. I love that you were just like, yeah, I'm going to follow this dream, even if it doesn't seem wise or practical or whatever. And yeah. how much you learned about yourself through it. Yeah, so much. And like, it's such a relief of knowing that I I, I went after the dream, you know? It's not like always going to be there like uh, something behind my back like oh my god like what if I I would have went then what if I could become a be an actress right now <laughs> like there's this peace to me yeah. and yeah yeah definitely one of the best decisions I made mm, love that reminds me of this quote it's like one of the most many people die with the song 
unsung inside of them. Yeah, it just, you know, you took a step towards singing that song, trying mm-hmm. out your dream of being an actress. And mm-hmm. now you know. Yeah. But uh, I wanted to go a little bit also, like, dive into the dynamic of being a feminine when we are single. I think, like, a lot we talked about it. How do you see this playing out in the relationship? Like, is there something different that women should, like, look out for or how does the dynamic work once you have a partner Ooh, great question well i think there's two big things i want to say here one is being in your feminine with your partner looks like really trusting your partner and if you want to be the feminine energy in that moment it looks like softening and surrendering and trusting their leadership and showing your emotions and bringing your emotional expression. Yeah. And your honest real-time feedback with and to your partner. And this is something I see women struggle with a lot, especially very independent women is trusting him enough to let him lead and being honest about how they're feeling moment to moment. That's really hard for a lot of independent women. The other thing I want to say is if you're in a relationship, you won't always be in the static pole of woman and feminine, men and masculine. Can you also make space for the polarity to be reversed occasionally so that he has a chance to feel his emotions and his, um, his heart and his longing and that you are really aware and holding space and maybe creating experiences for him? Because if you've been together for a while, you have to, the polarity has to become more dynamic. If it's static, woman, feminine, men, masculine, it will dry out at a certain point. Um, It's like surfing, that wave runs out and then you have Mm -hmm. to wait and catch the wave. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've seen a lot of, uh, like in the relationship dynamic, a lot of women are kind of struggling and saying that they feel that they're too much in the masculine. Like the problem is kind of even the opposite. It's like the polarity is not working so well because women are too much in the masculine. Yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think it's back to what we were talking about before is we live in this patriarchy, right? So a lot Mm -hmm. of women are valued and prided on their masculine side. They've gotten a lot of accolades for their ability to be rational, hold space, um, lead, take charge, make things happen. Those are all more of the masculine attributes. And so they've been rewarded for those. Those feel natural because that's what they've been cultivating. So they bring those gifts to their man, their partner. I'm just going to speak in heteronormative terms for a minute. They bring it to their man. And then their man's like, wait, I want to bring my masculine to the relationship. So now you have two people that are both trying to lead, that are both trying to make rational decisions. You end up arguing, getting into power struggles. Uh, not having a lot of trust, feeling disconnected. At best, you feel like teammates and buddies, but there's not that like sexy, sweep you off your feet like a romance novel, like pin me against the wall, ravishing energy because there's not, no one's playing the feminine. (laughs) You have two people in masculine. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I, you know, I noticed this in um, my business meetings with my husband because we do work together. Mm -hmm. And so- 
sometimes in our business meetings, we're both in masculine mode. We're like, okay, this is our task list. This is what we're going to achieve today. What are you on top of? What am I on top of? Very productive, not very sexy. Um, (laughs) But then we have to, we deliberately transition out of that dynamic. So we'll do Mm -hmm. something or, you know, I get back into my body or my softness or, um, you know, one of us chooses to transition more into the feminine. So there's more flow. Mm. But what would you say to women? Like how much is their doing in a way, like really going from the masculine to the feminine instead of putting the responsibility on the men? Because that's what happens a lot, you know. We like to blame the man that the, that the man is not taking too much lead, and the man is like, I don't know, too feminine, and I have to do everything on my own. That's so true. Oh my gosh! So, if we back up to both people are in their masculine, you're both leading. It's this power struggle. The next thing I often hear is, um, "Well, he needs to lead more." he should take charge more. Why doesn't he ravish me the way he used to? Why is he so wimpy mm-hmm. in words, right? And what she's really saying is like, I want polarity and I want him to be in his masculine. I want to be in my feminine, but she's almost like waiting for him to out masculine her before she's willing to surrender. Mm-hmm. An analogy of this is when I learned how to salsa dance, I, I learned when I was still very much in my masculine leadership phase. Mm-hmm. I hated dancing with the men who were new to salsa dance because they were kind of, <laughs> you know, actively lead me around the floor. And here I am, this strong-minded woman. I was like, well, I'll just lead then. You know, the only men I would surrender to were the ones that would like really confidently throw me around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's an analogy of like a lot of women are waiting for that man who's really confident and will throw her around and then, oh, okay, now she can surrender. But that's giving so much of her power away because there's very few men like that. And the men that like are like that probably don't want to wrestle her into her feminine. <laughs> They'll probably go for a woman who's already softened into her feminine. So what I would say is if you're craving, if you say anything like, I wish my man were more in his masculine. Why doesn't he lead more? I wish he took charge more. The invitation for the woman is what can you do to be softened and feel more of your feminine? Mm -hmm. So feeling more, receiving more, trusting. Trusting is a huge one, like seeing his brilliance and really appreciating it. Um, And Alison Armstrong helped me so much with this. Have you read any Alison Armstrong? Mm -mm. Oh, amazing. Her book, The Queen's Code. All of her Mm -hmm. books are completely changed my life. But what she showed me is how to really see masculine brilliance and soften to receive it. Mm. So for example, she talks about how men are aching to protect, to protect and provide for their woman. Mm. And, and just knowing that like softened my heart. I was like, oh, it's so sweet. Yeah. Thank you. I think it's, it's very important for women also to take the responsibility, you know, like exactly what you were describing. And there's so much we can do in the partnership to have the dynamics in place. Yeah. So much. Mm-hmm. So much. So much and that doesn't come waiting for him to change. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and the concept you you brought out, like us as women, not giving away the power. It's like in a way, always like putting it on a man. It's like we're actually giving away the power to someone else. It's like our happiness or our flow or femininity depends on his behavior. Right, right. And what a powerless stance that is. So of course you're going to end up with a lot of women who are angry and resentful because they're not getting what they want and they think it needs to come from him and he's not changing. And that's a really frustrating spot to be in. Yeah. Even though I think there it, it we can't take it like so black and white in a way we have to see even if the women go into their feminine, sometimes the masculine is not like making the changes or and we have to be realistic about that too. So it's not always that, you know, if a woman surrenders to the feminine that the relationship is uh always gonna work. But okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but yeah it's, it's such a and I think when when she surrenders and softens and feels more in her feminine, he may or may not step up in the ways that she's hoping for, right? And that's really good information. You know, he may not have the desire or the capacity to lead her in the way that she wants to be to be led or to express masculine in the way that she wants to receive it. Um, but she won't know unless she creates the opportunity. Exactly. Yes. Thank you. Oh my God, you articulate everything so perfectly. <laughs> so beautiful. And uh, I know that you're such a big advocate on uh, listening uh, to your desires as a woman. Like, can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah. I I have an almost spiritual relationship with desire. I think that the things you want are there for a reason. And that they are the blueprint of your soul. And um, I don't mean like, oh, I want a vanilla frappuccino. That's the blueprint of my soul. Although, you know, it might be. Yeah. (laughs) Who knows? Why not? (laughs) Yeah. But some of the bigger things, like the aches, the desires that make you teary-eyed or that give you goosebumps or that give you shivers, like that, I believe, is your soul, God, the universe speaking through you. So for example, I was at a mother's circle over the weekend and one woman spoke about, she just broke up with her boyfriend because she really wanted a baby and he didn't want one. And as she spoke, like tears were pouring down her face. And I was like, that woman is meant to be a mother. You know, like that's a real desire. We can feel it. She can feel it. And there's, and that's important. That is something not to ignore. Um, Other woman, it might be like, she really wants to start her own business or she wants to move or she wants to learn how to cook, Um, whatever it is, it's like, those are really, uh, they're the whispers of your soul. And uh, do you have some recommendations like how to connect to your desires? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A couple of things. One is I would say to start by softening and stillness. So the belly breath that I recommended earlier and softening your body because desire speaks through body sensations. And if you're not connected with your body, it's hard to hear it. If you're in your mind, it's like someone's trying to whisper in your ear, but you're in a a nightclub. You know, there's a lot of music. You can't whispers. 
So you have to get some more quiet so you can hear the whispers. And that's the first thing I would say, to soften and get still. And then the second thing would be to start with small desires and trusting yourself on the little desires. So if you're at a restaurant and you look at a menu, what's the first thing that you're like, ooh, that sounds yummy. Mm-hmm. And trust that versus second guessing and be like, oh, is that healthy? Should I eat this? Should I, you know, just trust your first desire. Mm-hmm. Or if someone invites you to a party and you get this, ooh, I want to go or, ooh, no, I don't want to go. Trust that. And so mm-hmm. it's like your self-trust or your trust of your desire is built in these tiny moments. So then when the big moments come, you know, to quit your job, to say yes to getting married, any of those, you, you know what you want. Mm-hmm. I love this concept that, that like you, you also kind of made it like very obvious to me. And I think it's such a, it's in a way speaking about the same thing, the feminine, but in a more, I don't know, tangible way, I would say, like really knowing, like, because I, I believe that this desire is something that we all can feel, but mm-hmm. it's like sometimes we do ignore or I don't know, we feel we're not supposed to have it or I don't know, maybe it's just a tantrum that I'm playing, like maybe mm-hmm. I shouldn't be so needy. So yeah. it's it's a beautiful way of connecting to your feminine, actually, like really staying true and, and following your desires or accepting and acknowledging the desires. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a really tangible roadmap, I think. Yeah. Towards your feminine tan, Mm -hmm. simple, but not easy because of Mm -hmm. course the things you want will often feel silly, indulgent, not important. Yeah. A waste of time, but they're not, if you can just remember, okay, oh, that's my patriarchal conditioning. (laughs) That's my social um, undervaluing of the feminine then you can keep coming back to like, what am I asking for? I have this little meme that says, I'm not needy, I'm wanty. <laughs> <There's a> big... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> we have to steal that one. I'm not yeah. needy, I am wanty. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> oh, but there was another concept that I took from your book, actually. I, I really much enjoyed the way you're talking about the turn on. Mm, yeah. Like, uh, can you a little bit like say what does it mean for a woman to be a turned on, to be turned on? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I'll start with turn on is not necessarily arousal. It doesn't mean you're horny, but it does mean that there's like a lit from within effervescence, rightness with yourself and with the world. Turn on feels like everything is possible. And every, and I, it it happens when you're an approval of everything that's happening. So that's at the most deepest sense. And on a surface sense, turn on happens when you're following your desires, when you're feeling passionate about what you're doing, when you're connected to yourself and connected to life and the moment. And it's amazing. It's, I think what we're all craving is that feeling of being turned on. Turned off is that feeling of like, nothing is quite right. Like, ugh, it's too hot here. 
Oh, it's cold here. Oh, what if we get sick? Oh, I don't like the way you're touching me. Oh. Right. It's, it's that closed off kind of cranky, irritable mm, attitude towards life. I see you nodding, right? You know, this feeling in your body. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Definitely there. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. And so I think having words for this is really helpful because just being able to say, oh, I'm in a turned off state right now is nice to know. And then from there, you can wonder like, how would I come back to turn on? What would I need to turn myself in this moment back on? And usually it's some combination of accepting yourself and what's happening, sensuality, feeling this experience. Turned on doesn't necessarily mean happy because you can be turned on, but not be happy and joyful. But you can be like, like your rage can be turned on. If you're really feeling it and you're like, ah, and it feels, you're letting it move through your body and it's not a problem, then it's just red hot turn on, mm-hmm. right? Your grief can be turned on. But um, yeah, it starts by like accepting, allowing and approving of what's happening. Mm-hmm. And in a way, it, is it like really like, being alive I would say like really like feeling that you're alive like yeah totally yeah I think about it like how open are you to letting life move move through you Mm -hmm. yeah because when you turn it off it's like a closed down and the world gets kind of flat and monotone when you turn on it's like you're you're opening all the hoses and the channels and you're like, yeah, letting life move you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think it's so beautiful. And like you said, also, like a lot of us want to live that way. This is, you know, we want to feel alive when we are in this life, right? Yeah, yeah, and, totally. Yeah. yeah, I think that sense of aliveness is what we're all craving. It's like mm-hmm. what gives our life color and richness and texture mm-hmm. but I'm interested now it's like such a random question but somehow it came to me so I'm gonna ask it but do you feel that for men they get the liveness and all this juiciness and turn on uh, by being more in the masculine <laughs> you know <laughs> body so it's hard for me to answer this I'll just I think that their experience is different when I see my partner really in his masculine it's like this like clear centered like powerful he's like I feel power I think he would say strong and powerful are more the the experience for him Mm. of like yeah capable is another word that comes up useful it's like, a, like almost like a sword, you know, turn on is like dancing and moving like the ocean. I think the masculine in its fullest expression is like, like a yeah. clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Thank you for answering that. I know that was like <laughs> a switch. I was like, oh my God, if this is like true for women, like we're really feeling alive and turn on. I mean, like men also want to feel alive but it somehow feels different (laughs) totally when we do the interview with James we should ask him but yeah yeah, my sense of it might be a little different like they of course can have moments when they feel turned on and alive but I think it might not be 
unless he's a more feminine man, which happens, of course, mm-hmm. um, it might not be the same home base feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Getting to the motherhood, like you became a mother, like uh, just recently, a year and a half ago. Like, how has this changed? How has this changed of being connected to your feminine and this? <sighs> Where do we even start? Everything's changed. I think becoming a mother, first of all, is the most feminine thing I have ever done. Just mm. starting with pregnancy, right? It's so much being in my body, listening to my body. I had so much nausea my first trimester. And it was like, I had to listen to my body in terms of what to eat and where to go on a deeper level than I ever have in my life. Mm. And then we go to birth, right? And birth I have never surrendered so completely as I did giving birth to my baby. Like mm. I, I knew birth would be hard and I was expecting it to be like, I'm a strong woman, right? Like I can handle hard things, but it was hard in a very feminine way, which is like, how much could I open and let go and trust mm. and move with sensation instead of pushing against it? It required every ounce of my training in feminine embodiment to birth my baby. And it was so, I was like, oh my gosh, if I can birth, I can do anything. But it was a very different part. It's not like I can muscle my way through anything. It's like I can open to anything. Um, Wow, that's so beautiful. I never thought of it this way. I got like chills all over when you were speaking about it. It's so true. Like I can so see it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and in a way, like how you're connecting to your body when you're going through pregnancy and birth giving. Like it seems yeah. a whole another level of connecting to your body. I think it for me is the biggest feminine initiation I've ever done. It taught me more about the feminine than all of my training combined. Mm. Being pregnant and giving birth. Yeah. And then when my baby was born, it was so, it was so much feminine and like, you know, she can't tell me what she needs, right? In every moment I'm watching her and listening and sensing and trying to use intuition and trying to figure out, okay, what does this baby need? Um, trying different things. This is all feminine skills, you know, mm-hmm. intuition and connecting to her emotions and um, yeah. And, and she's changing constantly every day, which is a hallmark of the feminine. And, and so mothering her has required me to be adaptable and tapped into my intuition and empathetic and compassionate in ways I've never had to be before. Mm. So that's, and at the same time, motherhood is also challenging to be in my feminine because it's constant. It's a, an, a constant demand. I have to kind of step up and hold her. She's like the little feminine being, you know, and so it requires my, my alpha in some ways. And so the softness and the hours of practice I used to do and the, the just focusing on my desires. I don't have that experience now as a mother, you know, my time is for myself is much more limited. My desires take a backseat to her needs um and so my feminine now is much more service 
based than just what I want and what I feel. Um, so it's shifted. It's shifted a lot the way I feel feminine. And I think it's matured me. Mm. But how do you feel like, how do you keep the balance? Like still like being connected to yourself and and like listening to your own desires because it is true, especially the first year, like there's barely no time for yourself because you have to always be available for the baby. Yeah. Like how how have you managed this time? Like and being yeah. connected to yourself? It's not easy. You know, yeah. it's not easy. It's kind of this, I think my default, whether biologically or culturally, would be like, okay, I'm all in service to this baby, you know, whatever the baby needs. I have to keep reminding myself that sometimes being in service to myself is being in service to the baby, you know, that like she needs me to be taking good care of myself. And so um, in the first, in the early days, uh, my partner helped a lot with taking care of me, you know even on a practical level, making sure that I had breakfast, making sure I was fed, making sure that I was taking a nap when the baby was taking a nap. He helped a lot with that. Um, I also try to do something every day that was just for me, something I wanted to do. Even if it was as small as like drinking a cup of cacao or spending two minutes journaling once the baby was asleep or taking a bath or walking through the garden, like finding, asking myself, what's one thing I want today just for me was a lifesaver, especially in those early days. Yeah. And now I would say it's, it's, it's a juggling act. You know, some days I have more space and time to do things for me and like go see girlfriends or go to yoga class. And other days, um, last week she was sick. She had a fever. And so I just dropped all my things and I was like I'm just mothering today but how do you do in that like headspace like how has that been because it's a big adjustment like giving up because the child becomes the priority like you can't just like I don't know the baby gets sick like you said you drop all your week plans but how do you like manage it mentally like how is this easy for you does it become natural to you like it do um, feel you're missing something or giving up something like how what's your experience I think about it like I love the example juggling um because like that day when she had a fever last week okay so I'm all in devotion to her and her well-being today I'm just spending time with her making her soups and tinctures and being with her when she's better. Now James is going to take her out to dinner and I have a couple hours to just do whatever I want to do to journal, to walk in my garden, maybe make art. And so it's like what I sacrifice one day, then I'll make sure to get it the next day or a future day. Because if I go many days of neglecting myself, I start to feel really cranky and irritable and closed off to my husband. Um, yeah. And I know whenever I start to get those feelings, it's like, oh, it's time to put a little more attention on me and what I desire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And here I feel that it's so important to have this supporting relationship. Like James plays a very big part. He does, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is really important. And um, having a baby changed our relationship a lot. I think it made us way more interdependent than we ever have been. You know, because before we depended on each other, but we could still live pretty independent lives. With the baby there, there was more that needed to happen than I could do by myself. Mm. And I really needed him, especially in the early days. I was so I was so grateful that he was there, you know, to make sure I drank water and had food. And um, because it's so hard to think about myself and the baby. Um, mm-hmm. And then as the time has gone on, it's we've had many conversations about roles and responsibilities and um and rebalancing the load between parents, you know, like moments when I start to feel like cranky or resentful. It's like, Oh, I need to ask for more help. I need to ask him to take her out to dinner, or I need to ask him to um, help me with more aspects of parenthood instead Mm -hmm. of trying to do it all by myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you would say that it's really helpful to have those open conversations around like how you're gonna do who's responsible for what and like is that like helpful essential it's totally essential. yeah and to not do it once but to do it every week ongoing of like how are you feeling about the load the family load Mm -hmm. the mental load um Mm -hmm. you know because we talked about it before the baby was born like who will change the diapers? Who will get up in the middle of the night? Who will, you know, organize our dinners? Mm-hmm. And we we set out responsibilities, but then things change. The baby grows up. I've had six nights of no sleep. I need you to step up more. Like there's, it's not just a one and done. It's an ongoing mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's also so profound. I'm so happy you brought it up because I think in relationship in general, even if you have a baby or don't have a baby, like it's so important to constantly revisit, like you said, even having those conversations on a weekly basis to connect, like, how are you feeling? How is everything working out? How are you feeling about this family life of ours? I think it's super, super, super important. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Because what I really don't want to have is resentment that builds up because you see it in couples and like it starts with just a little thing that irritates her or a little spot her trust got broken she doesn't say it he doesn't say it and then it starts to build and build until they feel like strangers to each other mm-hmm. and i think just like a garden if you're weeding early things don't get out of hand as easily mm-hmm. but as something changed or how do you keep up the like relationship dynamic with the baby Mm, that's also not easy (laughs) um we have I think structure has been really helpful for us because and we didn't do this in the early early days like the first couple months but after the first couple months it was helpful to have structure so we have a love date four times a week. So four times a week, we sit down, someone else watches the baby or the baby's napping. And we just eye gaze, breathe together, do something that connects us. That's been really helpful. Um, and then every week or every couple of weeks, we try to go out on a date night 
even if that date night is just, um, you know, watching a movie together once Lila's asleep, Mm -hmm. or even if it's, you know, having a cup of coffee together before she wakes up, Mm -hmm. little things like that help a lot. Um, yeah, intimacy and communication, I think are the two biggest things kept attention on since the baby. I'm interested, how do you keep it going? Like, is there periods when you like drop down and like don't do the love dates or like, because, you know, even if people hear the podcast right now and they take this out, it's like the most important thing, the crucial is always us being able to keep it up. Like, Mm. how do you manage to like keep the love dates going? And like, yeah, I think for every couple, you'll have a different baseline of how long you can go without connecting intimately. And so some couples, you you are con- are content to go a month without connecting intimately, some couples a week, some every day. And I think it's really helpful to talk to your partner and to know for yourself, like how, what's your minimum of how often you need to connect? So I know for myself, if James and I haven't really connected, and I don't necessarily mean having sex, but if we haven't like dropped in and really felt each other in around three days, I start to feel agitated, like anxious and kind of cranky. And like, I don't really want to connect and a little more closed off and a little more nitpicky. And those are all my ways of saying like, we haven't connected enough lately. I miss you, but it it comes out as like, you didn't take out the trash, you know? Yeah. But I know it means I miss you. We haven't connected. Um, so around three days is like as long as I would like us to go without being intimate. And, and we know that we talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, other people, that window might be shorter or longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's just helpful to know because then you can also see like if we're not regularly connected, there's trickle impacts. So we fight more. The communication's harder. We're more irritated. We have to, um, we feel less on the same page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So seeing the impact, the triple, the trickle impacts gives me the motivation to keep it a priority and to keep it important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So would you say that this is something really that you and James have like agreed upon that you both take it as a priority? I would say yes. I think his window is longer than mine. So he could probably go four or five days and be like, fine. Whereas I start mm. to get like kind of cranky after three and I'm like, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think it's so nice that you brought it out because I think it is very individual. I think yeah. it's like someone and like, it's a very nice thing to know about yourself. Like when you become this little irritated easily and like, you know, not so nice of a partner anymore that maybe you just need a little bit more intimate time yeah yeah and to know for yourself what is your window and then and then to talk about it because then you you know what's happening when all of a sudden your partner is so irritating and nothing really has changed but their breathing and their eating is annoying you're like oh it's because we haven't connected in a while (laughs) yeah yeah amazing 
Well, and uh, is there something else you would like to add here about motherhood? Because um, I know that it's a difficult uh, place to be for a woman, actually, like to juggle the new role as a mother and as a partner and to connect to your own femininity. Like, is there some something you would like to say for women who are going through this? I think the biggest thing is to have compassion for ourselves and community for each other. Is like, it's such a big transition. I think it's probably the biggest transition a woman can make in her life. Um, mm. It was for me. And so all kinds of sides of you might come out that you weren't expecting, both for positive, like strength you didn't know you had, but also, you know, resentment or anger or fears or things you didn't know were in there. And so gentleness and compassion for yourself through this and community. I really don't think we're meant to do this by ourselves. And so it's been so helpful for me to have friends that are moms, to have people I talk to about motherhood. I just went to a motherhood blessing over the weekend for a woman who wanted, created a ritual to celebrate her one year of being a mom. And we all gave her reflections on what we've seen in her. And it's so powerful because we don't have, for most cultures, um, Mm -hmm. ritual celebrating this transition into motherhood. Um, but we need it. So community and compassion are the two things I'd say. Yeah, thank you. That is yeah, very important because I think yeah, a lot of moms, they become so individual and they just stay at home and now they're isolated from a lot of life happening and friends like outside. So it, it would be very helpful, I think, yeah, to, to keep in mind and like really stay connected to other women who are yeah. going through the same thing. Yeah, essential. Well, thank you so much, love. Uh, Thank you for having me. This is great. Thank you. I I really hope I got to come to your women's retreat, but uh, one day. Unfortunately, I can't make it this year, but... Hopefully one day. And if anyone... If anything touched you in this episode, send me a note on Instagram. I love hearing from people about what's touched them, what they got from these episodes. Yes, definitely. And uh, we're going to add all your information uh, like down so you can find everything under this podcast, all the information to find Megan <laughs> and read about the retreats. Oh, one last question. As the podcast is called No Limits, what does life with no limits mean to you? Ooh, life with no limits. Oh, what does it mean to me? Yeah. I think it means that turned on feeling of possibility when all of your desires seem possible and that you have the trust to move towards them and to take steps towards them. That's the life with no limits. Beautiful. Thank you, love. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me.